A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, listeners. Start your engines because it's time for another episode of the Motormouth podcast with me, your host, Tim Sylvie. Get ready for a wild ride as we rev up to explore the exciting sport we all know and love. Joining me on this high-speed journey is none other than today's co-host, Harry Benjamin, who's known for his towering height and enormous feet, which are rumored to give him an extra boost of speed when he's behind the wheel. Together, Harry and I will be your trusty pit crew as we interview one of the most interesting and well-known names from the world of motorsports. So buckle up and join us for an adrenaline-fueled ride on the Motormouth podcast. Harry, how are you? When will you stop using ChatGPT to do your introductions to this podcast? <laughs> that is, now you've done it once, it's so clear when it's a ChatGPT thing. Oh, I know, but it's fun, isn't it? I like it. Is it going to take over the world? That's the question. So I, I used it I, recently for, I'm doing the Miami Grand Prix this weekend for BBC Five Live. Yeah. And I've got, I've got my little lights out phrase. It's not lights out the way we go, but I say ice the lights and foot to the floor. But I was like, maybe I'll maybe see if ChatGPT's got one. So I asked it. If it's got a phrase to start off an F1 race, it said, ladies and gentlemen, start your engines, which obviously that one's taken. taken. So I said, come up with a never said before phrase to start an F1 race. So we're going to go with this one this weekend, see how it goes down. Let the roar of the machines awaken the adrenaline with, within you for it's time to witness the grand spectacle of speed and precision that is Formula One. You're not going to use that. No, I feel like they'll be at turn five by the time you finish yeah, that. Yeah. But, um, but, you know. Chat GPT, hit it's, and miss sometimes. It is. It's mental. It, it does blow my mind slightly. And it does freak me out. Um, there's there's a guy that works for Google. He's been there the last 10 years. He's a pioneer in all this sort of stuff. And he's just quit Google specifically so he can talk to people about the dangers of, of artificial intelligence because it's going in such a scary direction. Anyway, it's a, it's a conversation for another day. Shall I introduce today's guest? Yeah, I think so. Let's get on with it. Well, actually, ChatGPT is going to introduce today's guest, but, you know, we'll roll with it. So today we have a true champion in our midst, a driver who's faced incredible challenges on and off the track and still come out on top. We're thrilled to welcome Roman Grosjean to the show. Roman is a seasoned veteran of racing with a career that spans stints in Formula One and, of course, IndyCar. He was further thrust into the spotlight with his miraculous escape from a terrifying crash and fireball at the Bahrain Grand Prix. Not only did Roman survive the crash, but he went on to make a recovery and return to the track. He's now here to share his incredible story with us, along with his thoughts and opinions. Roman, a very warm welcome to the Motormouth podcast. How are you? 
Thank you. I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. Thanks for uh, taking the time, Roman. It's, it's a pleasure to, to chat with you over the next half an hour or so. Um, what do you make of AI? Is it? Do you think it's going to put you out of a job one day in the driving seat? Uh, well, I think I'm lucky enough that it won't happen in, during my career. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm closer to the end than the beginning. But uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. No, I don't think. I don't think so. It's still, there's still a human being in the car, which kind of is an artist. So I think that's gonna that's gonna stick. Yeah. Yeah, the, uh, the the robo racing thing, I just can't see catching on. It doesn't it doesn't quite have the same pull as seeing a, a racing driver behind the wheel. Now, Roman, you you were born in Switzerland, I believe. Is that where you spent your early years? And what was life like for a young Roman in the in the Grosjean household? Yeah, very true. So I was born in Switzerland from a Swiss dad and a, a French mom. Uh, so I've got two passports. Uh, I know I'm I'm known as a French racing driver. But I'm as much as Swiss as I'm French, so you know I uh, can please everyone down there, uh, which is good. Um, and my grandfather was vice world champion of skiing, so I was starting to skiing, and that was what I was doing when I was a kid. Um, then there was a bit of rumor about doping mid '90s, so my dad told me that uh, he didn't really want me to carry into skiing career, so I went I went to try BMX. Um, and after a couple of concussions, my mom says that was not a good idea. So I thought, okay, let's go karting. That sounds safer. And uh, that's how I ended up uh, behind a wheel. <laughs> that was the safer option, exactly. Well, so was that the only reason why there was no sort of motorsport uh, history in your family? No, they weren't fans of it? Uh, my dad. My dad was a fan of racing and he's, he's still a lawyer. Uh, and he was working with a, a rally team that used to run the Lancia Delta in rallies in Europe. So... Um, I went to some rallies and, and my first look was actually rally cars and the Lancia Delta is still my dream car. I haven't got one yet, but working on it. Amazing. <laughs> I think a lot of people might agree with you on that one. But um, so you start karting and then when you go up, and we speak to a lot of drivers and obviously, you know, the, you go up the ranks and that kind of thing. When did you start thinking, right, okay, it, it's getting serious now. I can actually t- do this for a career. Uh, actually super very late, uh, when I was in uh, GP2, uh, which really? is Formula 2. So yeah, I was, you know, I was still going to school. I was doing my high school, uh, making sure that if things didn't plan out in, in racing, I could, uh, I could go to uni. So, um, yeah, that's, um, I was just, I was just doing it for fun and no idea what it would bring. And then eventually when I got to GP2 and I started winning, winning races, like, yeah, if I can win races just under Formula 1, maybe there's a chance I can make it. And, and fast forward a touch and you, you won the F3 Euro Series, which secured you a testing position for Renault in 2008. And that's actually a year I was working with ING Bank, who sponsored the team at that time. And we, I remember what we were wearing, these disgusting bright orange trousers and white tops. It was, it was a, a strange looking car as far as the livery went. But that call up must, must have been a very special feeling for you. Yes. Um, it's, uh, I, was, I was with Renault since end of 2005, Renault driver development. And then obviously uh, I was uh, at the factory seeing the Formula One cars. And then I got my first taste in 2007, I think just straight lines testing. And that was awesome. And then yes, became test driver in 2008. And then mid 2009, I got a phone call. Actually got two phone call uh, that I was going to be uh, in from on the Formula One grid. So the first one was after the Budapest Grand Prix on Monday and then on Monday afternoon I got a call back saying no you're not for the next race uh, we're giving one more chance to Nelson and after Nürburgring um, got the call or maybe it's the opposite around, way around anyway uh, yes the opposite way around uh, I got the finally I got the call summer break you are in the car in Valencia 
for the like, next seven races. It's a good warm-up for next year. Uh, we're committed to you. And obviously that did not happen as, as it was supposed to. But yeah, I did my seven Grand Prix. What, what was it like lining up for your first Grand Prix on the grid with, with some... I imagine people you'd watched for the last few years wanting to be in their position and suddenly you're right alongside them. Yeah, you are. But you know what? In these days, we had no simulator. I had never sat in the car. I'd never done a lap in that car, not even a straight line. Uh, and I qualified 14th uh, in Valencia. So all in all, decent. Um, it was, uh, of course, it was you know tough because I, I didn't know the, most of the track. I didn't know the car. I, I had no experience. I don't think I... I was well aware of also, I thought about only being fast in the car, but Formula One is a little bit more than that. It's also who you are outside of the car. And then, and then sadly for me, the crash gate story happened. Um, and, you know, at that time I was a driver managed by Flavio Briato. I was part of the, the junior program that was there for Renault. And uh, when the team was, uh, was sold, uh, the new owner wanted to get a clean sheet and, and start from zero. So, I was part of the furniture that you change when you get a new house. Mm. So if, if that hadn't have happened, do you think you would have been on for 2011 as well then, rather than have to go back down to GP2? Yeah, I think so. That was the idea, 2010 and so on. And uh, 2010 was actually a pretty decent car. Uh, so it would have been nice to be uh, on the grid on that car. Um, but uh, yeah, I had to do it all again. So in 2010, I went uh, in GT1 World Championship, uh, and then back to uh, GP2 for one race in the Dauto GP and uh, did Le Mans 24 hours in a GT car. So I had, I had some cool experience. Came back in GP2 for 2011, uh, won the Asia Championship as well as the main series and got my seat back in Formula 1 with the same team that I followed me like a couple of years before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you got there in the end. That's, that's the main thing. What, what was different the second time around? Now, after that absence and then doing so well in GP2, did you feel you'd grown as a driver by the time you came back to race alongside Kimi? What was different this time around? Yeah, of course, you, you grew up a lot from those uh, experience. Um, but also when I came back, the guys that had told the new management that I wasn't good enough two years before, know I'm working with them again. So I had to do everything perfect, which puts a lot more pressure on you than, than just coming in for the first time and being allowed to make the rookie mistakes. So uh, it was hard. Um, I think, you know, I, I just went a little bit too fast in that season because I had three podiums, I believe, in the first before the summer break. And then things unfolded a little bit, not my way, got a bit unlucky as well. And uh, and then a lot of people remember that season as not necessarily a good one. But as a rookie, three podiums on your first proper season, I believe it's a good season. I, I look back at, 2012 and in a world of of drive to survive generation i go well actually watch the 2012 season because that was probably one of the best in in recent history yeah. you know was it six different drivers winning the first six races you had yourself getting podiums rookies and young drivers doing super well overtakes left right and center but in 2012 obviously the big thing for you was that spa crash right and that led to, to the one race ban now that almost seems like a whole lifetime ago i'm sure it does to you as well but I remember quite specifically at the time, you know, there was a lot of chat in, in the aftermath of it, how you were um, going to, to seek help through um, physiotherapists and people to help you with your mindset and things like that. And at the time, that wasn't really 
the done thing or it wasn't certainly promoted by many drivers how did you find yourself navigating that moment because now it seems you know f2 and f3 drivers have people alongside them to help them with their mindset so it almost seems like you set the precedent <laughs> yeah i don't know um i just got lucky once in paris i was working in a in a sport institute and i met that psychologist in the corridor and we talked for like three minutes only but i really liked her and then after spa I just thought, okay, what you know, what can I do better? So I started working with her. That was September 2012. We are in 2023, and I still work with her. So 11 years later, obviously the the challenges, you know, change of uh, become a dad, husband, uh, Formula One, from being on the podium to having not such a great car anymore, to come back back to IndyCar, to be back on the podium, fighting for wins. So you you go through a lot of different. Um, experience through your career uh, and uh, that's why I like to uh, keep working on the psychologist uh, side and uh, there's no shame about it you know we we all use a trainer in the gym to get bigger muscle but I think a brain is our biggest uh, our biggest challenge yeah no I totally agree I, I think it's a it's a very sensible thing to do now, you eventually found yourself moving and you went across to Haas and we, we actually had Gunter on the show not too long ago he's one of our favorite guests what what was he like to work with and how did that move to Haas come about uh, the move to Haas was a 45-minute phone call with Gunther. I remember walking uh, back and forth on my terrace in Switzerland. And um, and it was I was going to be 30 years old. I'd, I'd been with Renault for five years. Um, the team was a bit struggling financially. It was, it was lodged at the time. Didn't know if it was going to be Renault or not. Um, and I thought I needed a new challenge. And the way Haas project was presented to me was very appealing and at the beginning, you know, I was 100% right to do that call because we did really well. But there's one thing that has been on and on every season, sadly, is the development of the car. Always started the season strong and always going reverse a little bit through the season. So I think that's, that's the only reason why we weren't more successful with us. And uh, it's a shame it would have been nice to, uh, to do better. Uh, but, we, you know, we, we didn't do too bad. For a new team coming to Formula 1, the first three years were really good. And then... Uh, last two may be a little bit more painful. Well, the most successful new team in recent times, that's for sure. Do you think, obviously, Kevin Magnussen, your teammate at Haas, uh, for the majority of your entire stint, um, went back to Haas after you both you know, left the team. What, did, were you surprised that he went back? Uh, no, um, I, I spoke to, actually, I was with Kevin two weeks before he got a phone call or something like that in Sebring testing IndyCar. And the way IndyCar works is you can put an extra drivers in the car to get an extra day of testing. So Kevin was uh, driving for the endurance in IMSA for uh, Chip Ganassi Racing. And uh, so he was in the IndyCar car and uh, he had done the year before one race in Road America. He loved it. So we talked about it and uh, he says, man, I miss single seater. I want to I come to IndyCar. I want to do it. That sounds like a lot of fun. And... Um, I was like, yeah, you never know, mate. You never know. Uh, and then, you know, it was with the Peugeot contract in endurance and, and the Cadillac in, in endurance in IMSA. And the next thing I knew, it was back in Formula One. So I knew he wanted to be back in, in single-seater. Uh, I, I was really pleased for him, especially where things started again for him when he got back. Um, that was exciting to watch. Uh, we'll come on to the uh, the IndyCar exploit soon um, that you mentioned. Now, let's move to 2020. And, and one of the most emotional and impactful things I've ever seen on a racetrack, it's Bahrain. The start of the race was fairly normal. Hamilton got away well, as did Verstappen. 
you gained a couple of places off the start and were looking quick. Then at one point you start moving right on the track and head towards the barrier. Could you pick it up from there? What what goes through your head next? And just explain to those who were living under a rock at the time, what happened? Uh, well, what happened? It's not great. <laughs> um, it, you know, I was uh, I had a good start, which was not my strength spot in 2020. So at least I had a good start that day. <laughs> And uh, turn one did okay, turn two okay, and then I'm I'm on the straight going up towards turn four, I believe, and uh, and I've got a super good slipstream on, on the three guys in front of me, so I'm going for the inside, um, and you know at that point you take a lot of factor into consideration. So I've had a good exit of turn two. I'm catching all the cars that are um, in front of me. I look right and left on my mirrors, see nothing. So I'm like, okay, I'm clear to move to the right from taking all those information, but. Obviously, something happened. Uh, Daniel Kvyat was in my blind spot from turn one onwards, and it didn't move from my, my, the blind spot. And also, the Honda engine was just better than the Ferrari that year. So even though I had the slipstream and such a great momentum, it was able to stay on my side. So I didn't know it was there. So I moved on the inside to uh, to get that uh, that spot that was open, and uh, we made contact, and that sent my car straight into the, the wall. And uh, yeah, then it caught on fire, and um, and the rest is history. Do you hate talking about it now, even though it was obviously such a pivotal part of your career in, in, in a way because it, it, it put you on the map of a lot? Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. People who weren't even you know, fans of Formula One. But is it something you, you want to leave in the past and just move on or, or are you kind of okay with the fact well this is part of who I am it is part of who I am um, it's true that I kind of like to talk about it a little bit less now than maybe in the past uh, because you know um, I think I move on fast generally as a person and then for me I'll rather talk about uh, the podiums in IndyCar, the pole position, uh, the racing that I'm, I'm doing right now. Uh, but I know for a lot of people, it's also a very inspiring story. And I think that's something that I have, I was lucky enough to experience and maybe to give something to the people that even not necessarily like motorsport, but just see that through something terrible happening to you, there is hope and light at the end of the tunnel. And uh, I think uh, that's not something I would ever expect from my life being an inspiration for a lot of people but I guess through that episode part of my life yes it has happened and I'm proud of that but uh, yes uh, you know it's uh, talking about it is never that easy um, 
Um, but I have my scarf on my left hand every, every day to remind me that I'm lucky to be here and I should enjoy rather than complain. Do you, do you you mentioned earlier about your your psychologist and and your sort of mind performance training and so on how important a part did that play in your recovery presumably it was quite key yes i think so i mean we the crash happened on sunday afternoon on tuesday evening i was doing a session uh, with her already and she was like we're gonna take it slow and i said no we're not <laughs> i was just like i knew you were going to say that so we uh we actually spent an hour doing quite an intense session and then another one on friday and then people ask me so you have nightmares you have flashbacks i said no i had in total i had two flashbacks uh of the incident never had a nightmare um joke about it i was the first one to make a joke about it but, you know people couldn't really do that but i was like hey it's, it's about me so i can do whatever i want uh so start joking about it uh i created that uh, that phoenix uh nickname but it's not the phoenix is not so much about the fire it's it's about recreating you from something that uh that could be bad um you know obviously yes the fire and the phoenix goes together but it's also hey you know you go through something and then you come back at racing or at doing what you love doing and you're good at it. And, and for me, that's where the Phoenix come from. It's, it's like rebirth, a rebirth from, from a tough moment, but uh, a rebirth in, in what you love doing. Absolutely. I mean, that proved to be the end of, of your Formula One career, but I suppose it gave you the chance to, to start a fresh chapter and, as you say, rejuvenate and, and renew into something completely new. And it, it was IndyCar that decided to take your fancy over in the US. How was that adaptation to the American way of life? <laughs> Actually, very straightforward. Uh, I love living in the US. Uh, I, I joked that I was born to be living in the US. Uh, I, I kind of, yeah, I love I love the atmosphere. I love the country. I love the possibilities. I love the racing, like old school Um I love the atmosphere between the drivers. Very good atmosphere in the paddock. A lot of fun. Uh, on track, it's tough. It's very competitive. But outside, we just uh, when we put our helmet down, it's, we're having fun. And uh, I guess that's something that I really appreciate here. Um, and everywhere can I go to a racetrack, I know I've got a chance to win because everyone's got the same car. And that's something that I was kind of struggling with at the end of Formula One. Yeah. And you, you mentioned there that you love the possibilities that are available in the US. And and I, for me, I used to live in the States, not for long. I was, I was in Florida for a year um, in Orlando. And, and the thing I found about the Americans was that they were, um, they were very complimentary and enthusiastic about entrepreneurship, about success. If you were successful, they were happy for you. Whereas it feels like, especially in, well, the UK, certainly, I don't know about the rest of Europe, success is obviously sometimes frowned upon or people are so envious that they, 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 they try and squash you or put you down. H have you felt that in the States? Do you feel like there's generally a positive attitude towards success and winning? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's what I love. You know, people that every time you always, you always going to meet someone that's more successful than you are. And, you know, when I hear, when you meet someone that's that way, you ask him questions. So how do you do, do, how did you do, how, what did the ID came? How did you get there? And you're happy for them. There's no jealousy. And I love that. So a lot of people ask me the same thing. Okay. How did you get there? How did you do? What have you been, you know, training and I, I like that. And for, I see for my kids as well, you know, if you have a better idea than others here, yeah, there's so much possibility, so much opening in front of you. Um, 
there's no much support if, if things go sideways. But um, if you are better than others, then you have a real chance to do something big. Now, you're fresh off uh, IndyCar weekend, uh, Grand Prix of Alabama pole position, just missed out on the win after a, 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 an epic battle with uh, Scott McLaughlin and that awesome overtake, which has gone completely uh, viral on social media. I imagine one of your goals is is to get that win eventually, and it will come. But what about longer term? Do you see yourself being an Indy, IndyCar for, for quite some time, perhaps to, to, the, to the end of your career? Why not? Absolutely, why not? I, I love IndyCar. I'm still very competitive. Uh, and, um, and I love doing what I do. You know, I... There's a bit of traveling because the U.S. is such a big country, but I don't have to worry about my visa or too much time difference. So I can fly my own plane to the races. Uh, you know, I'm having a lot of fun that way. So it just feels like, yes, I've got plenty of energy left. I'm, I'm plenty good enough. I'm in the hunt for the championship, uh, which is something that I've got my eyes on. Obviously, it would be nice to have wins as well, but uh, it's close. So we keep knocking on the door. Um, wasn't to be the last two, but uh, we're on to uh, we're on to something good with the team. Andretti has done such a great job from last year, turning things around. I think the drivers as, as well. We've uh, we've definitely made uh, progress, and, and we worked really well together with Colton Herta and Kyle Kirkwood. And uh, we're getting uh, yeah, we're having a real team spirit, a real team effort, and uh, and yeah, it's it's fun. As I say, for me, going every race weekend, knowing that I can win the race, is something pretty unique. And uh, and then you've got the 500 miles of Indianapolis. You know, I've done Le Mans 24, I've done Monaco Grand Prix, I've done Suzuka, I've done some pretty good racing in my life but Indy 500 is something on its own just by the atmosphere and the fans and just having 400,000 spectators in the same place. Yeah, it's it's a spectacular race. We've got to get out there, Harry. We've got to do it one day. Um, now, Raymond, you've had the the, the uh, fortunate position to, like you say, have done Formula One and IndyCar. And uh, we had Connor Daly on the show uh, a little while ago, and we were quizzing him on the the uh, the talent within the IndyCar grid. And he was quite bullish about it and said, you know, you stick me or, you know, one of my colleagues in, um, in a Mercedes or a Red Bull we will win races in Formula One. Do you agree? How highly do you rate the talent in US racing? Yeah, there's definitely some, some very high talent and some, uh, some very fast driver. Um, I've said a few times, and I think Scott McLaughlin is probably one of the most talented driver I've ever met. I mean, bear in mind, the guy's never done open, seater, open wheel. Uh, he's done V8 supercars, come in IndyCar, and season two is winning races scoring pole position uh, that's absolutely stunning you've got a guy like will power we know how fast he is um i think colton erta when he was in the formula one car he was not too shabby uh, alex palu at the fp1 austin 2022 i think was only three tenths of Lando norris on his first time around so yeah you get you get some really good talent and um and you know, there's from all over the world, not only from America, but I believe there's more that driver nationalities in IndyCar than there is in Formula One. Yeah, it, it seems like a a more diverse grid, that's for sure. And I think IndyCar is becoming. I mean, speaking from a UK perspective, it's becoming even more and more popular year on year. We love watching it. Um, talk of F1, though. I, I don't want to go back to it, but there were weren't you going to get a Mercedes test at some point? Is that going to happen? Are you going to get a fond farewell? No, it's it's hundred percent on me. It's hundred percent my fault. Uh, not finding time to uh, to come back to Europe. Really, um, we want we we had it all planned for twenty twenty one, and then something like COVID happened uh, and changed the rules, so it did not happen. And then we wanted to do it in Silverstone at the end of twenty one, and then the track was not available. And then in twenty twenty two, you know, I just moved in the US with my family. I was full on with the team, uh, with the sponsorship, and and the 
the appearances, right, uh, you know, that you do. So uh, it, it's really been my fault. Every time I see Toto, he says, we've got to do that test. Um, but right now, you know what, I kind of keep it in my pocket for maybe in five, six, seven years to see if Formula One is evolved in the last, next to 10 years and, and have a go when I'm a bit older, just to uh, a farewell to my career. Yeah, that would be that would be amazing. Uh, there's a lot of talk, you know, we just come off the Baku weekend and everyone complaining it was a bit lackluster. Now you're outside of Formula One and IndyCar seems so entertaining and it's brilliant from a sporting perspective as well. What do you think Formula One needs to do to 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 be better? <laughs> you know, to does it need tweaking all these aerodynamics and uh, power unit rules? Do we need sprint races? What would you do? I, I don't know. I don't know. Um I don't like the sprint races. I'm going to be honest. It's not my cup of tea. Uh, I don't think it's it's the right direction. Um, yes, I was expecting better from Baku. I watched the race uh, from Alabama, uh, and uh, it's pretty boring. Um, why they tried everything? I think the cost cap has been definitely one of the best thing of the last few years uh, of decades. But still, we've got one team dominating everything, and um, same team that was dominating early 2010 so this seems to be doing great in the early decades now you're living in the states you're in miami uh, it's now home to one of three races in terms of formula one can you can you feel the surge of popularity of formula one in the states or because over here we talk a lot about it and you know you've got vegas coming online we've got miami and we've got cota and everything's great and it, you know the formula one's doing brilliantly in the u.s outside of personal views about the state of formula one is it getting that traction in the States now that we all think it is over here? Yes, it's definitely grown a lot uh, thanks to the, the TV show. Uh, that made a lot of new fan and uh, I guess it just uh, allowed people to understand the, the entertainment behind it. I mean, the sport in the US is very about is very much about entertainment and fan access. So that's the only thing that it's a bit, that Formula One needs to be careful from my perspective is, is the fan access, you know. Um, Vegas, you're looking at suites at a million dollar for a few people. It's a bit crazy, right? And and then they get no chance to go and see the car from close. So um, I think that's the only kind of thing that it, that's a bit different uh, from the sports here. You know, you go to NBA game, at the end the game is finished, you can go on the floor and, and try to hit a few uh, nets and, and the, the fans are really in the center. And in the car, you know, you're on the grid and it's hard to find your car because you've got all the fans on the grid and you don't even know where your car is after the parade. And that's, uh, they're the center of it, uh, which, is, uh, which is the beauty of, of it. So absolutely, it's growing. Uh, but yeah, just uh, that, that would be my only, uh, only point of, of worry. Now, before we come on to our, our final three questions, which we ask all of our guests um, and they throw up various answers, I'm curious to know from you, outside of motorsport, being a family man and so on. Do you have any other talents? What are you good at that the public might not know about? Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm a good, I think I'm an okay chef. I love cooking. Uh, so that's been uh, something I've been doing for a long time. And, uh, you know, uh, I'm, I'm okay at tennis as well. I love playing tennis. What, do you have a signature dish? Man, we're French. We eat everything. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Everything, everything no, alive, enough. like you know, snails, oysters, blah, all that nasty yeah, stuff. Yeah, beautiful. Oof, no, terrible. Now, listen, time for our final three, which are brought to us this week by our partners at WTF1Talent.com. Head to WTF1Talent.com. If you are a budding F1 content creator and interested to hear how you can supercharge your career. Uh, Harry, do you want to kick off with the first of the final three this week? 
Yep, Roman, what has got you excited at the moment? Learning how to play golf. Oh, so am I, to be fair. How are you finding it? Frustrating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At least you've got, a, uh, I think I need to get a, a mental coach because I, the amount of times I want to fling a club across or at somebody, I need to calm down. So. <laughs> I'm good at throwing balls at people without no intention, but they seem to be attracted by people. It's a great sport, but very, very frustrating. The second one for you, how much of your success do you put down to luck and right place, right time? And how much do you put down to sheer hard work? Uh, you know what? If we look at my career, I don't think right place, right time is the thing that I would uh, that would characterize me. Um, so I'll, I'll put more on hard work and no, never giving up. Yeah, that's fair enough. Um, final question for you, Roman. What are you scared of? Snakes. And there's too many of them in Florida. Oh my God, of course. Yeah, you wouldn't get them so much in Europe, would you? But oh, the States is a whole nother kettle of fish. Jesus. Roman, thank you so much for joining us on the show this week. It's a privilege to talk to you and fascinating to hear your, your views and obviously about your incident. And um, I hope the recovery continues to go as well as it has so far. Best of luck with the rest of the IndyCar season and hopefully we'll see you trackside track soon. All Do the best. Around. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Motormouth podcast. Do make sure you give us a follow on our socials, Twitter at Motormouth underscore, Instagram at Motormouth underscore official and Facebook, just search Motormouth. You can also download the Motormouth app where you can get exclusive video content from MMTV, create your own social profile to interact with other fans and check up on all the latest happenings with whatever motorsport takes your fancy. We're also proud to be supporting the Brain Tumor Charity too. So make sure you check the links in the podcast description to find out how you can help cure brain tumors quicker. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and review. And until next time, you've been listening to the Motormouth Podcast. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 